If you uh, have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Going to break from our Genesis study this morning. Matthew chapter 26. And if you're a real overachiever, 1 Corinthians 11 also, because that's where we're going to be landing, but I want to read from Matthew 26 first. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read, it's a little bit of a heftier portion, but I really want to set this in context, and I'll explain why after I've read it. Verse 17. 1 Corinthians 11, 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Very fascinating statement. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. 
About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Our God, our Father in heaven, I pray that uh, this passage this morning of your holy word, with your precious spirit attached, Father, you would do the ministry of the word today. You would work in the hearts of Christians to remind them of the great and at times scary privilege it is to come to the Lord's table. But also that your spirit would convict those perhaps who are not in Jesus Christ in this building this morning. Now, Father God, you would raise their attention to, the, to this height of what is going on in this passage and how important it is, and Father, that you are not playing games. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the reason I wanted to read the whole context or a, a good portion of the context around that text is because regularly, typically the third Sunday of each month, we come together around the Lord's Supper. And typically the elders come up and we serve and you have that and then I stand before you and I do a quotation. And my quotation is very short and just a small part of this context. And I never want to cheat you in the sense of just quoting a couple verses out of a context. Um, it's important to know how this sits. And the interesting thing to me about where this text sits is it sits in a pile of correction for the body of Christ. Here in uh, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is a book of discipline, redirection, spanking the saints. As the Apostle Paul comes and opens up to the, to the Corinthians, he's addressing a major error going on in this body. And really at the root of it is quite simple. They're selfish. They don't care about each other. They care about themselves. They don't really give a rip about what's going on with, with the rest of the body. Some show up and they go too far in the wine, they get drunk. Some show up, they gorge themselves, they're, they're stuffed, while others are there who are extremely hungry. Well, it's too bad for them. And there's this, this flavor, this tone in this church body where there's fractions, they're discontent, they're bickering, they're selfish, and they just flat don't care. So the apostle coming to the knowledge of what's going on in this church. Now, mind you, this is just one of the strands of the issues in this fellowship. But nonetheless, he speaks directly to this particular strand and says, what, is this really what you're doing? I will, I will never commend you in what you're doing here. And what I find fascinating about the Apostle Paul, and we see this over and over, is some of the most glorious passages, doctrinally, doctrinally, theologically, land in some of the funniest contexts. When I say funny, I do not mean ha-ha, but really, that's where that falls? Did you know the wedding text, 1 Corinthians 13, falls in the midst of this same book of uttered correction? What a romantic place to set it, huh? 
And yet, there it is. We say, oh, the love chapter, that's the passage that talks about what true love is. What's the context that sets in again? A church shredding itself. Pastors, elders, all over this world continually quote the text that I just read in front of you. Every single time as they come to the Lord's Supper, they either quote it or read it. And you say, now what's the context again that that sweet passage on communion sets in? A correction of a group of Christians who are shredding themselves. Selfishness and no concern for one another. And so I think that's important, beloved. We need to be realists with the word. And so in these passages, when we pluck them out and we, we put them up on this really beautiful piece of wood, it's etched in there and it's $39.95 and you buy that and you say, oh, that's a gorgeous passage. It's always interesting to go, what's around that passage? What context does that sit in? Because the context that this text sits in is the Apostle Paul under the authority of the Lord saying, this is not how it should be. Now that I've set the stage as far as the the context and where that sits, I do want to zone in this morning because what he does in his correction is he gives great clarity and he gives great understanding and and, um, I guess clarity is the best word of just what this is supposed to look like, what the body of Christ is supposed to do in reference to the celebration of the Lord's Supper and why you do it. And how you do it. So first and foremost, what I want to show you is that this is established on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to be bouncing a little bit here, so I'm going back to Matthew 26. If you want to follow along, great. Um, If you don't, that's fine too. I'll be back in 1 Corinthians. But Matthew 26... It says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is no mere practice that some denomination came up with. It's no mere practice that some group of religious leaders came up with. It was not something where some church said, you know what, this would be a really neat picture of the death of of the Lord Jesus. Let's do it this way. This is an institution from Jesus Christ with a command attached to do it. So when we gather, beloved, and and perhaps you're visiting today and you're not as familiar with what's happening, so let me just give you a real simple play-by-play. We've got this um, dish with the finest bread you'll ever eat inside of it. And we have a bunch of cups of juice. There's nothing mystical, there's nothing magical about what's in these elements in any way, shape, or form. They are there symbolically to bring back to our remembrance, not that we forgot, but to stop us in our tracks and give us a clear remembrance of Jesus' spilt blood and his body. This is instituted from the Lord Jesus to his church and has been practiced throughout the ages of the church of Jesus Christ. And so here we are gathered 
It's been prepared, it's set in front of us, and we as Christians have a desire to celebrate, number one, because it is sweet to our reminder, but also it's command from the Lord Jesus to us and what we're here to practice. So I want you to notice that first and foremost is that the authority of what we're doing here is not man's authority. This is established by the Lord Jesus Christ for us to practice. And I keep saying us, and I'm going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I will probably be there the rest of uh, our time. This entire context of 1 Corinthians is written to a church, is written to a local body. This is intended for believers. This is not intended for unsaved people to partake in. Now, you probably have noticed, if you've been a part of PCBC for a while, there is consistently a warning given to you from whoever's le- one of us elders, whoever's leading in communion. We want to warn you. That's because it's in the passage. This is a practice for Christians to come and celebrate. This is a practice for those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have been purchased by his blood, those who have been declared righteous in Christ, justified by faith alone, to come and enjoy. You are the one who is being reminded. This is a reminder to the believer. To the unbeliever, nonsense. Doesn't carry weight. Doesn't mean much. It's a religious practice that religious wing nuts do. Okay, great. That's, that's how that goes. But for us who are believers, it is precious, holy, set apart. Remember, I'm not saying, again, when I say there's nothing magical or mystical about this, there's not. But it is holy communion because it is set apart from all other times. If I were to come come this morning and it wasn't communion Sunday, none of that had anything to do with this, and I just brought a a a package of pecan sandies, because those are the best cookies ever, and you bring those in, and you just start throwing them at people, and go, hey, it's like communion, right? Right? Is that holy? No, it's not holy. It's not the same thing. It's not set apart. It's not distinct. This is set apart. This is holy in the sense that it is different than any other time. We as believers, recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ, bowing to the authority of Jesus Christ, come together and under his authority take Holy Communion. And here's what's so interesting is that whether we recognize the importance of this or not, it is still there. It is still the truth. The Lord Jesus has declared it so. This, my dear friends, is for the family. This is for the Christian family to come to the table. And it's amazing to me that in the history of the church, how many, how many fights have begun over just that discussion. Next, these elements that are used um, are there simply because they are, are a beautiful symbol or a good picture of what's being done here. Notice the Lord Jesus as he took bread and broke it, as he gave wine the red wine, the fruit of the vine, we use grape juice. I'm not, I don't get hung up on that. Some folks do and say it has to be wine. Some folks says it has to be grape juice. I think you're worshiping the form and you miss the whole point, if that's your big fight. And if you have a huge issue with that, just don't email me. It won't go well. Just leave that alone. <laughs> um, because it's a symbol. 
It's there for the purpose of reminding you, of bringing to your remembrance the death of the Lord Jesus. So that's kind of what's going on there as far as these elements and what they represent. It's a dramatization of the gospel, if you will. What's being done here? Now, this is what's so cool, you guys, is I'm a firm believer that the church needs to hear the gospel. I'm a firm believer in that. The gospel is not just the gate you get on or you go through at the beginning. We need to hear the gospel every day, every single day of our lives. We need to rehearse the glorious news of the gospel. It's a mistake to say the gospel is for the unbeliever, they hear the gospel, they believe, and then they start to get on the quote-unquote meat of the word. No, 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 no. The gospel is at the center stage of everything we do. When we sing, we're rejoicing in the truth of the gospel. When somebody is baptized, they are, they are being united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. When we come to the Lord's Supper, this again is a dramatization of the truth of the gospel. You see how ingrained that is? Why? Because it is so important. So important. It does not take a lot of work to look through the history of the church and see when a church starts to fumble. They fumble when the gospel is not at the core, is not at the center. They start focusing on other things, sidelining issues and whatnot. So, beloved, there are some built-in pieces at PCBC and from the Lord Jesus to have the gospel consistently at the forefront. Whether it's the baptism, whether it is the Lord's Supper, the preaching of the Word, the songs we sing, the witnesses, the testimonies, it all goes back to that truth. No gospel, no church. It must be at the heart of who we are and what we do. And so when we take communion, holy communion, we're being reminded of the truth of the gospel. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at verse 30. God's response to those that take the elements in an unworthy manner. If you notice, back up to verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Really quick, the clock is off the wall. Now, <clears throat> this can be very good news, this can be very bad Somebody have a watch that I can borrow, sincerely, because uh, I'm not good at judging that. Oh, look at that, too. Wait, that's digital. That'd be easier. Give me that. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, it's 8.30. Perfect. Uh, look, look down at your Bibles. Look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many, and that word is, <laughs> that's a heavy word, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. 
There is a, there's a warning in this passage, beloved, for those who come to the table, to some extent, glibly. You treat it with zero caution. Um, first and foremost, and I think the gravest offense, is you know in your heart of hearts, I do not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the plate's coming across, and I'd rather not have a social faux pas, so I'll just take it. It's fine. I I don't have proper words to show you the error, the, uh, the, the amount of error being done in that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very, very forthright with you. I encourage you, just let it be awkward. If you know in your heart of hearts you don't, you don't know Christ, you truly don't, just let it go by. It's fine. I mean, it's not fine. <laughs> but let it be awkward, and I pray you would ask some sincere questions of yourself why that plate's passing you by. But do not disrespect the one true and living God by playing games with what he has declared serious. He will not be mocked by you. I realize that we don't see him. He's, in, he's invisible to some extent. We don't see God. And so it's easy to pretend as if he's not present. It's easy to satisfy man and completely disregard God. But I charge you, I remind you, he's in the room. He knows full well what your relationship is with him. He's not playing games. He takes serious what you're doing. Whether you do or don't, he does. So I, I, I place myself, beloved, in your path this morning. Don't. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if in your heart of heart you say, I don't know if I'm a believer, I don't think I'm a believer, abstain. Abstain. But I I plead with God that your abstaining would trigger your questioning. Your abstaining would trigger you to say, then where am I with God? Then what do I do with the Lord Jesus Christ? And what am I doing in this building? Why am I seated here? If this whole thing was a sham and I know in my heart of hearts I've been playing a game, Today is the day of salvation then. Repent. Lay your life in front of him. Lay your your heart, just open it up to him. Cling to the cross of Christ. Declare him as the Savior. Call it quits, trying to make it on your own. And flee from the wrath that that is coming quickly in front of you. I stand as an obstacle in front of you on your way to hell if you do not know Jesus this morning.
And that's not just preacher talk. It's not hellfire brimstone. It's the reality. I love you. And true love does not let another person get hurt. So true love stands in the way and says, you stop right where you're at. Let me just warn. Let me just warn. If you do not know Christ, let today be the day. Because do you see what he says here? That's why many of you were ill. That's why many of you have died. Many have died because of how they're mistreating and mocking God. There is no room for flippancy in what we're doing. And so what is the believer called to do? What is the hearer under this word called to do? If you look, look down at the text, it says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so, beloved, the, the time of communion... Now, let me, let me make sure I make this clear... There should never be, uh, or, or it should not be that only at the communion table is where you do a, a, an examination of your heart, where you examine, where you ask the Lord, Lord, if there's something in me, make it plain, make it clear to me. That should happen often and regular. That's a good practice. But I find it fascinating that in this context specifically, the Apostle Paul says, particularly when you come together for this, you should let yourself or you should examine yourself and ask some of those pointed, hard questions. Um, It would be a tricky practice, but I'm challenging you uh, this morning that perhaps when you know, oh, it's the third Sunday and we're going to have communion today, to ask some questions of of your spouse, perhaps of your brother in the Lord. I need your help. I want to do, I want to take seriously what God takes seriously and examine my heart. How do you think I'm doing? Because, brothers and sisters, how easy can we self-deceive, or how can we can we have self-deception on this kind of stuff? If it's up to me, I'm doing good most days. And so it's important, first and foremost, to ask this question, am I in Christ? Okay? A. B. Am I I habitually in sin with no recognition of it as sin? Or recognition of it as sin, but I give a blind eye to it. And I could care less. And I've been confronted about it, but I don't care about that. Is there something between you and the Lord this morning? And what I mean by that is, in the moment when I talk about self-examination, it takes you about a nanosecond to go right to one particular issue that has been eating your lunch for months, years, who knows? Well, beloved, the Spirit of God indwells you. Don't you think He would kindly direct your attention to particular things? If you're being forthright, if you're being genuine and saying, Lord, if there's something in me that you want to draw my attention to, please do. And boom, there it is. Well, 
the Spirit of God is kind and gracious to let us see ourselves rightly. Here's the time. Here's the time to freshly recognize the truth of the gospel, Jesus' sacrifice for that very sin. See, here's the hard part, you guys, for, for, for all of us, is communion is a reminder that we are saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You don't clean yourself to come to the fount, so to speak. But at the same time, we want clean hands and pure hearts before our God. So some self-examination and perhaps doing some business with the Lord in reference to things that are going on in our lives, that needs to be done as well. God will discipline you. He loves you. A good dad disciplines. And so judgment for the unbeliever and discipline for the believer who come to the Lord's table in a flippant manner. One more time, just so you don't miss that. Judgment for the unbeliever and discipline for the believer. There's no judgment for the believer that your judgment has been embraced and absorbed by Jesus. But your Father in heaven loves you to the point that he will bring some severity into your life in discipline if you treat him that way, if you mock him that way. Now, think on this with me for just a second. What are some blessings experienced by the believer when he comes to the Lord's table in a quote-unquote worthy manner, using the words that the apostle uses? I'm convinced that there is a particular sweet refreshment to the soul of the believer when he comes to the Lord's table. As, As that believer searches the heart, Ask the Lord to search the heart. Lord, if you see anything unclean in me, make me aware. Please, I want to be righteous in my doing. I know I'm righteous in Christ, but I want to walk in righteousness as well. Make that known. And the Lord has, and and you have a, a good, sweet time of communion. And I don't mean this, but relationally, communion with the Lord. And then you come to his table in a right manner. Beloved, there's a sweet refreshment to that. It's like, to use an illustration that doesn't get close, but as close as I can, it's like a getaway weekend with your spouse. You say, you know what? We have been so busy. Things have been going on. I have not spoken much to you. You've not spoken much to me. We're gone for two days. And let's just talk. Let's just visit. Let's see how this marriage is going. Let's, Let's check on how we're doing. You come back. There's a sweet refreshment, a boost to the marriage. But very much can happen at the Lord's Supper. If, if the Lord this morning, if it feels distance, you feel like so busy, so complicated in this world. Beloved, what a sweet time to just stop. Give pure, unmixed concentration to the truth of the gospel and to the Lord Jesus. Number two, if you come in an unworthy manner, it will bring a fresh reminder of the sacrifice of Christ made for your salvation. Again, this is a dramatization of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. And the Lord knows us so well, doesn't he? He did not just give us something that for someone to say to remind you. He gave us something to put in our mouths, to taste, to bring to your remembrance, to experience, if you will, the bread and the juice to bring to your reminder, to your, to your memory, 
Christ. Number three, it's a public proclamation of the gospel. Remember, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. It's a public proclamation as you partake of that. Much like when you are dunked in baptism, you are, make, you are bearing witness to Christ when you come to the Lord's table and that drink, that bread is brought to you and you take that, you're publicly in front of this congregation. Anybody can look through those windows and they can see this. We are publicly saying, I totally identify with this Savior. This is the one. This is the one. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And as I take this, I'm all in. I'm completely in. Not playing games. I'm not half-hearted. Lord, I am your son. You are my Lord, my Savior. I bow. And your union with Christ is seen in a very particular way, in a very public way, as you come to his table. Number four, and here's one that probably isn't spoken of enough or given enough attention. It is a looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Because the text says, as often as you do it in remembrance of me, you know, you take it, and it says, each time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until his return. Well, there's some doctrine. This is, this is where my mind was, steam has come out of my ears this morning as I was thinking about this. How much theology is encased in this practice? We have the covenant of grace, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with an absolute perfect salvation, saving covenant made between the Godhead to send the Son encased here. We have the glory of the death of Jesus Christ. We have his his perfect, law-keeping, absolute, satisfying sacrifice of the Lamb of God here. His body, his blood. We have the fact that he was betrayed. We have the fact that he bore our sin, the fact that we take on his righteousness. But making reference to his return speaks to his resurrection. It speaks to his ascension. It speaks to his return. Do you see that just a little bit, this is what I love about the word of God, so few words, so much truth. That you have the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus Christ encased in this little practice. I say little, that we do here together. All of that doctrine encased in this practice. See, the the interesting part about Christians is we are a people who are called, commanded, to be faithful, to remember, to look back. But we are not a people of the past only. We are people who are absolutely looking in front of us. And so the note that you're left on with what the Apostle Paul gives here in reference to communion is not, let's be sentimental. No, that's not it. We draw our attention to the past, to what Christ has done, but you're not left there. You do this in remembrance of him, but every time you do it, it's before his return. Beloved, we look forward to the bridegroom to come back for his bride. Every time you take communion, you should be freshly reminded of the second advent of Jesus Christ. 
That's the note Paul leaves them on. That's the note we are left with each and every time. That you are not alone. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. He's working all things after the counsel of his will and has an appointed day, a nanosecond, in which he will return for his bride. It's as good as done because the sovereign of the universe has promised it. Every time you take that little cup of juice, it's just a symbol to remind you of the glories of this theology. So what's interesting is how arrogant man can be and treat something so profound, so glibly at times, so half-hearted at times. Well, all I can say is let us align our let us align ourselves with our Lord in what He counts this as, and what He sees this as. That we're not out of alignment with Him. And so I'm I'm done. That's the sermon. So I have a question for you. How, how are you doing? Don't answer. Please don't answer. Counseling sessions are made to be private. How, how are you doing? I, I, and I, I want to do this on purpose. I, this has been on my mind and heart for a few months. To just in the middle of a worship service, step on the brakes. That'd be the clutch. Step on the brakes. Stop you in your tracks. Force you to stop and ask you, how are you doing? You know, there are times where, where uh, it'll be a certain brother, particular brother in the Lord, and you'll shake their hand, and they'll say, how are you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. And then they'll grab you by the arm and go, all right, but how are you really doing? That second question and that hand on the arm has such power to just stop me in my tracks. Okay, okay. They meant it. <laughs> I mean it. How are you? How are you doing in your walk as a believer? And does that question and the fact that I'm asking that to you this morning make you feel comfortable, uncomfortable? Because as one of your pastors, I have a vested interest, a deep interest in how you're doing spiritually. My prayer, beloved, is that as I ask that question of you and, and cause you, force you to stop and pause, perhaps God in his grace, by his spirit, will bring something to you. From his word, as you examine and see how things are going and what the Lord is doing in you and through you. And then I'll throw this out there. If this morning... There's something particularly pressing deep in your heart. There's four elders in this church, ready, willing, mostly able, <laughs> to sit and talk and pray and be there with you and for you. So I want to stop and just let us pray for a little bit, okay?
and purposefully seek the Lord. And if there's something cluttery between you and He this morning, deal with it. And then we'll come to His table uh, as a family after that, okay? So what I'm going to ask is, uh, Raj, after a while, if you'd pray, and then we'll come to the table.